Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. It's Ian and Bonnie here in the studio tonight. Remotely, we have... Me, Mark. Joining us, Aaron Day, the uh, Republican presidential candidate out of New Hampshire and uh, early Free State Project mover. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to uh, great to have you here. Um, you know, I actually wanted to have you in to talk about this financial situation because you've been following it very closely. I've been watching a lot of your uh, tweets online. Uh, of course, your campaign website is day2024.com. And you are uh, on Twitter, at Aaron R. Day. Uh, so it looks like everything's okay now, right? The banks came back up in the stocks uh, today. There was a, a rebound. You know, the bank, the big bank losses from yesterday, a lot of them got, you know, got you know, not all the way back up, but they came back up, you know, quarter, 25% or 30% or whatever. So Bonds are up. Biden, gold's Biden, up. Biden was right. The banking system's safe. Everything's okay, right, Aaron? Well, I mean, this is the whole point. The, the whole fiat currency situation is a confidence game to begin with. So they need to act like everything is OK, which is something that they're doing on a coordinated basis. So so you're going to see everybody on CNBC, everybody on mainstream media is going to come out and say they've taken all the right actions. I remember this from 2008 when we had that financial crisis and it was the same thing. Every other day, the stock market would either drop 700 points, then it would rebound. But then when you read the book or watch the movie Too Big to Fail, you find out that behind the scenes, it was an absolute disaster. And everything was basically an existential threat going on one day. You know, each day there was a new existential threat to the system. So I don't think we're by any means out of the woods. In fact, uh, I think what's happened is a, is a travesty. I think what we're moving towards are what are called bail-ins, where... Biden went out and said the taxpayers aren't going to pay for the for the bailout of SVB. But in actuality, I think it's going to end up being the depositors in banks, just like what happened in Cyprus several several years ago. They're going to be the ones caught holding the bag. Yeah, well, what we saw in the press release from the Federal Reserve yesterday was that uh, they're going to use whatever's in the uh, deposit insurance fund, which was, according to the chart that I pulled up from the FDIC's website, was only one hundred twenty eight billion. And so that's not enough to cover the first bank uh, that failed, which was Silicon Valley Bank that had, I think, close to $200 billion in customer deposits. So they're going to already have to go to the well, which is the well in this case, they say, is a quote-unquote special assessment on the banks. Now, of course, anybody who knows how taxation works is whenever – you know, a corporation has to pay more in taxes. They just pass that on to the customers. So ultimately, it's absolutely going to be uh, bank customers who are going to pay this. Now, how that's going to come out, it's probably, I would guess, going to be even worse interest rates than ever before and maybe increased fees in, in various different ways. I mean, that, that seems like the only way they could easily extract that from their customers. Like if you were getting point zero two percent now you're going to get point zero zero two percent on your crappy uh, savings account. Well, and it's going to take liquidity out of the system. So so money that's not going to be circulating in the system is now going to be going to the FDIC as supposed insurance. And this mm-hmm. is something a lot of people don't really think about. They think, oh, I have insurance. That means it's safe. But what they don't realize is insurance itself is risky and insurance can go broke. And, mm-hmm. and that's something people never think about. They never think about the fact that, well, could a health insurance company go broke? Could a life insurance company go broke? Could a... Could the FDIC go broke? The FDIC only had reserves for 1.26 percent 
of <laughs> the deposit. So, so you're right. I, you know, I used to think that at least a while ago, uh, they, they, ha- they held reserves for two to three bank failures, two to mm-hmm. three large bank failures. Now, as you said, it's less than one. If one of the top six banks went under, that's it. The mm-hmm. FDIC fund is wiped out. If we look at every financial situation, everything we've that's sort of you know come up on our radar for the last 20 years, who's benefited? Um, well, I mean, pretty obviously the millionaires and billionaires have, uh, have, have benefited, right? Like those who have the connections and those who have the power. So regional banks, comparative to the member uh, banks of the Federal Reserve, which isn't federal and there are no reserves, um, that, you know, obviously they don't have the clout. The, they're just little tiny franchise owners they're not actually members of the Federal Reserve. And so the Federal Mm. Reserve is going to make sure that their boys, because this is the organization that runs the world, whether we want to believe it or not. This is the reason, in my opinion, that Ian was convicted is because the banks are trying to get rid of cryptocurrency. And the boogeyman here is is going to be, in this case, uh, probably cryptocurrency. In the last case, it was... People who shouldn't have had mortgages in the first place. And maybe they shouldn't have had mortgages in the first place, but they did. And they didn't deserve to lose them. So you think that they're going to blame all of this on crypto because that would make a lot of sense? No, no, Bonnie. I think that they're going to take responsibility for their actions over the course of the last uh, century and a half (laughs) to take responsibility for themselves for devaluing a currency that they've lied about. Because the dollar, by the way, is a measurement of silver. Um, It's an indication Mm -hmm. of a weight of silver. It it used to be worth uh, $20 used to be an an ounce, a troy ounce of gold. There was a precious metal amount that these things were. And the government has devalued them completely. The British sovereign was called, uh, excuse me, the the pound sterling was called pound sterling because it was a pound of sterling silver. Mm -hmm. And they use these terms to make you feel comfortable in what they're doing. But these things aren't backed by anything. Aaron, you posted today. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, they aren't backed by anything. And that's something that I find when I'm talking to you. The reason I'm running for president is actually because I I actually had gotten out of politics altogether, was 100 percent focused on crypto. And then I saw what was going on with crypto from a regulatory perspective uh, in terms of not only what was going on with Ian, but the SEC is going to crack down on 99 percent of cryptos. I mean, if you're a centralized project, if you raised money. If if you uh, are not a proof of work cryptocurrency, you're likely to get wiped out. Right. And so so we're seeing this big shift towards uh, against crypto and then against small business. So I think they'll try to scapegoat go first crypto and then they'll create a regional bank crisis and then they'll blame the regional banks and small business. All of this is about consolidation and all of this is ultimately a move towards central bank digital currency, mm-hmm. which is something that Biden has already passed, Executive Order 14067. This is something that's already in the works. That Out of the New York Fed, starting last December, they're piloting CBDC. There are a handful of countries, including the Bahamas, that already have CBDC. This is something that they want to implement, which once central bank digital currency is in place, that is the gateway to complete tyranny, social credit scores, vaccine passports, you name it. If you see what's going on in China right now, they want to bring that here. So this consolidation towards the big banks 
is one step closer. And I, I thought we had 12 to 36 months before that was going to happen. But based on what's happened in the last four or five days, I think this could be here sooner than we think. Well, there is already the news, uh, I think, that came out today that, of course, inflation is still chugging along at officially a 6% rate. Of course, we all know those numbers are manipulated, and they have been for a long time. But just accepting that as the bare minimum of what they're doing, the uh, story I was looking at about the inflation numbers say they're expecting the Federal Reserve to raise rates yet again, uh, another quarter point, apparently. So, like, you know, they're not done with this whole... uh, continuing to raise interest rates to record levels in a record amount of time. And according to the people that were looking at the Silicon Valley bank situation, they're saying that's the reason uh, in the last year these interest rate raises have basically made the bank uh, not able to compete with treasury bonds. And so all these customers from the bank were trying to leave the bank and get into treasury bonds because those rates uh, were going up. And then ultimately the bank had to sell billions of their own uh, holdings in order to try to get enough money to pay out the customers, which they couldn't, still couldn't do because the run on that bank, even though it was the second largest bank failure of all time, apparently the run on it was even hotter than the one of, uh, I think it was Washington Mutual back in 2008 that uh, that failed. Like they had a run that, that lasted for like 10 days and this one was much faster. It was like $45 billion in 24 hours. If a bank like Deutsche Bank or Credit Suisse goes down, nobody can fathom what the unintended consequences are because nobody knows what's in these derivatives contracts. But it's of the magnitude of $47 trillion for one bank. Well, Credit Suisse was in the news today. Uh, Their shares fell to an all-time low as the bank announced it had found material weaknesses, according to Daily Mail. And uh, Robert Robert Kiyosaki, the rich dad, poor dad guy, uh, he weighed in saying he thinks that uh, Credit Suisse is next to go. And it's stretching SI. It's what? Oh, well, other than the credit part, the Suisse part. Oh, never mind. Sorry, it's FWI. But it's it's yeah, but but I I, I think either uh, Credit Suisse has been having problems for months now. I mean, they, they actually had a mini run on the bank at the end of last year, um, and so you know, they're really on the edge anyway. But you never know how all you know one something like Silicon Valley Bank will set off a wave, and nobody knows what the unintended consequences are. That's exactly what happened in two thousand and eight when you had a mortgage crisis. But then all of a sudden, it turns out AIG, who was providing insurance contracts on mortgages, on credit default swaps, they were going to go under. And if AIG went under, that means people's life insurance policies went under. So Mm. all of this is interconnected. Nobody knows how it's interconnected. And as we could see with Silicon Valley Bank and even what we're hearing with Credit Suisse, there's no real risk management going on. Nobody is actually uh, paying any attention to what's going on, and there's no actual oversight. The fact that Silicon Valley Bank could even happen should be startling. But if it happened at Silicon Valley Bank, why would we think it isn't happening at every other bank? Well, how do you think they're going to turn this on crypto, or do you think that they're going to do that? I, I well, they're, well, they're certainly not going to take personal responsibility. I think they'll somehow try to pin this on, because you're already hearing rumors about this, that somehow FTX is at the heart of this. And mm-hmm. so somehow... They're going to make that not, not that FTX was ever anything about crypto. I mean, you know, FTX is so disconnected from crypto. Their, their stuff was primarily derivatives anyway. They were they were they weren't even selling people crypto. They were selling people um, their own pri- uh, private I, coin, I, their own private coin or IOUs on crypto. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't have the Bitcoin uh, on their exchange that people thought they were buying. Wow. 
So they were running a fractional reserve Bitcoin scam. So there was nothing about crypto that's, you know, FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried are not in any way, shape or form involved in the spirit of crypto. It was centralized in every possible way. But yes, they very well might try to to scapegoat that because you're already hearing that FTX is the cause of of uh, Silicon Valley Bank and then that that's what's leading into signature. So that is the narrative that they're spinning. And of course, the problem is the media will just follow and repeat whatever the official line is. It's mm-hmm. not like anybody's doing investigative journalism. Right, Bonnie, I, what I would say that's going to happen here, just just to me guessing from having seen this sort of thing going on, I don't have any, any insight into what's occurring, but, um, you know, I know how the game's played at this point, and you will see their talking heads, uh, they, them, and those out there, their, their talking heads will toss out narratives um you know it had it had to do with these banks that were selling uh that were involved in cryptocurrency we know how unstable that is the drug dealers and the terrorists right Right. Um, and then they'll toss out the well it was those young people uh having group sex down the bahamas (laughs) um, at ftx they were doing some things and then somebody's going to toss out these regional banks were acting irresponsibly and doing this that and the other or the the foreign banks, the euro and these sorts of things, they were doing whatever narrative gets some traction that people start liking that for whatever reason, because, you know, all that matters is that those that create the money are not responsible. All that matters is that they are not responsible because if, if they have another uh, Occupy Wall Street situation, they have to put their whole machine into uh, into gear again and make sure that, you know, the Tea Party, uh, you know, splits it in one direction and the, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter goes in the other. And that, you know, whatever it takes to sort of break up this, it's the bankers. Mm hmm that are using all of our labor. And Aaron pointed this out and he pointed it out adroitly, which is that these guys are gambling with money that doesn't exist. They're gambling with money in the future that's supposed to be created. And they're on one hand constricting the money supply by increasing interest rates, but they have the pressure to increase the money supply in order to pay for their gambling. We don't have a situation here where they can solve it. You've done some local election stuff. You've run for office at the the state level. But this time you decided to throw your hat into the ring into the presidential uh, campaigns. And you're going at it. You've got your campaign website. It's day2024.com. You're also on uh, Twitter at, uh, at Aaron R. Day. And you've been following this financial situation, which you know some might call a banking crisis uh, that has been coming, and now maybe it's here uh, with a couple of uh, major bank failures in just the last week or less than a week alone with Silicon Valley Bank uh, first last weekend, or then this weekend it was uh, the uh, Signature Bank up in New York, which has been seized by regulators. We don't know who's going to go next, but things certainly don't look good for places like Credit Suisse, whose shares have fallen to an all-time low. And as you pointed out on your social media today, apparently the CEO of Credit Suisse mysteriously decided to just refuse a bonus payment of 1.5 million Swiss francs for his first full year on the job. He just said, yeah, no, I don't need that. Maybe that's because they don't have it. What do you think about that? I was just speculating on that, but who knows? I mean, the, the liquidity crisis, when you're not even doing fractional reserve banking anymore, who knows if they have any liquidity at all? Like, like, like literally, I, you know, I've said this 
for a while. If, if you go to try to take $10,000 out of your bank account, you have to schedule an appointment now. Mm-hmm. They won't let you, you can't just walk in and take out 10000 And if you got three of your friends to go to the bank and take out $10,000 each, they wouldn't have it. Like it, yeah. it's, it's, it's really that big of an issue with liquidity. And that's just because at a fundamental level, there aren't even fractional reserves left. Right. Scary. This is a, a fascinating thing. So, um, you know, I know that it's supposed to be the Democrats that are irresponsible here, but for whatever reason, <laughs> it was Donald Trump who uh, took the last little vestiges of fractional reserve banking away. Now, mm-hmm. I, I never thought I'd be here defending fractional reserve banking, but as recently as within the last decade, a bank needed to have one ninth of uh, you know, it, it's deposits to its uh, lending portfolio. So it could, for every $1 it had, it could lend nine. And that means that mortgages were largely created out of thin air. Um, you know, this, this sort of thing. The banks were loaning people money that they didn't have and everybody knew it. But at the very least, we knew that they could that they went to the Federal Reserve and they deposited because that's what banks do. They bank with other banks. Uh, they deposited one ninth of that amount of money or that's what the law was. And it's likely that they were were following that because they were all sort of regulating each other in that way. But now with this being uh, done away with, banks are sort of asking themselves, well, how much money do we really need? And most days. You know, a hundred days for every, you know, it's a thousand days. It's 3000 days. Nobody's bothering you. Money's coming in. Money's going out. There's no big deal. People are making appointments to make large withdrawals if they need to make large withdrawals. But by and large, you're just sending, um, you know, magic fake money to other banks who are doing the same thing. And, and, you know, no big deal. The only time you really have to worry about it is when somebody says, hey, I want $10,000 in cash. It's mine and I want it. And, you know, that doesn't happen very often. But then at the end of 3,000 days, when everything's been fine, then one person says, I want my $40,000 out of the bank. Another person says, I want my 120 out. I, You know, they'd start pulling out their money to presumably buy gold, put it on their mattress, whatever it is that they're going to do with it. That's when you have a problem. There's sim- the money simply doesn't exist. It's not the bank, any one bank's fault. Although mm-hmm. any one bank could have made a decision that we're not going to, you know, we're not going to act this way. We're going to just, but the pressure of competition, I mean, it's, it's fierce. Well, not only if, the pressure of competition, but the allure of being able to just print money without any kind of restriction. I mean, there's, I'm sure plenty of very greedy people out there who cannot resist that temptation. So, I mean, well, how many banks actually well, have been financially responsible and not gone insane with uh, the elimination of the reserve requirements? Well, I'm, I'm just shocked by Mark's uh, suggestion that Donald Trump is any different than any of the <coughs> Democrats or George W. Bush or anything. They're all the same. I don't know if I heard him saying well, that. Well, he said— Well, well they're well, not all the same. They, they, no, no, they're not. Joe Biden they're is not doing exactly what uh, Trump is doing. I mean, he started fr- uh, fracking in Alaska yesterday. The Federal Reserve is a is a it's a Ponzi. If you understand how money actually works, it's not sound money conceptually. So there's nothing about the Federal Reserve Act that is is compelling or sustainable. And something that people need to understand, because we've been living in this haze. You know, the United States enjoyed this great position after World War II where the war was not on our soil. And so we didn't have all of this debt and all of this stuff involved in rebuilding. And so we ended up in this 
phenomenal situation where we had a strong dollar and a better financial situation, but we've squandered it just like has happened with every other fiat currency in history. There have been over 775 fiat currencies that we know of. Wow. Every one of them has failed. And the average life expectancy of a fiat currency is 35 years. Mm. And there's nothing unique. There's nothing different about the United States dollar. Well, the only thing that's different is it's got the world reserve status and there's an S ton of them all around the planet. So, you know, they can print like a lot faster than a lot of the other ones can, right? Because there's so many of them in so many people's hands all around the planet. If they they print a trillion dollars, you know, there's a bunch more trillions out there to dilute. So it's like they, they've got this thing on lock for some amount of time until some of the world powers start changing their minds about whether or not to accept the dollar for things like oil, right? Then everything could uh, accelerate as far as the, the death of the dollar. But they seem to have quite a few tricks up their sleeve. Well, I mean, the average fiat currency lasts for 35 years. Right. We're into this one, this version of it for 110 years. Yeah, and you could argue it's overdue. It's been around longer than that. It's, it's, it's overdue. Uh, in addition, as you said, the petrodollar, other countries, China is is sick of this. Saudi Arabia is sick of the dollar. Russia, obviously, is sick of the dollar. So other countries have decided kind of enough is enough. And and we certainly have been wasteful with, with the dollar. Uh, and people are starting to become very resentful of the United States. Uh, but on top of that, we have cryptocurrency as an alternative. We've never before had a, 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 a type of money that is decentralized, that is separated from the state, mm-hmm. that can exist at scale, that can allow people to engage in, in peer-to-peer commerce without a uh, government-backed fiat currency. And yeah. so that invention adds a whole new dimension to this. But frankly, if you're O and 775 <laughs> with fiat... It's time to try a new model. They wouldn't be going after you. They wouldn't be going after Jeremy. They wouldn't be going after this entire ecosystem if it wasn't a threat. That's right. And and they know that they're going to be pushing towards something and they don't want people to have alternatives. So they're trying to kill the alternatives before they give us manufacture a problem, mm-hmm. get a generate a fear reaction and bring a centralized solution that pushes us one step closer to complete tyranny. And Wait, it's this here. Is the- this is the equivalent of the uh, the political ad. Did you know that Aaron Day hates bunnies, right? Like, and, and all that stuff. Because essentially, what they're doing is is they're making every crypto asset, everyone, as much as they possibly can, look terrible. And then they're going to roll out their um, central bank digital currency, which is different because we control it. And they're going to have, like you say, the control that the Chinese government has. And let me outline how that works real quick. There is an app, a very robust and very effective app, think Facebook, but even bigger and more robust that every uh, every Chinese person can access and use that allows them to pay for things. And uh, you know, talk to people. It's 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 a combined social media and payment. Is it the WeChat? WeChat, WeChat. right? And when they decide that you're a bad little Chinaman. Then they just go ahead and shut it down, um, your your account, and say, yep. well, you're restricted to just buying food and water today. Mm-hmm. Or you can't travel on the bus system today. You're going to have to walk to work. Or they can do whatever they want. And just think, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to agree with the Canadian truckers and what they wanted to do. But you will agree 
that people should have the right to protest. If you don't agree with that, please move to China. Yeah. Um, and you, the, the people should have the right to protest. And the Canadian government came after those people. They came after their bank accounts. They came after the people who donated to them's bank accounts. They did whatever they could in whatever Orwellian way to stifle free speech. And they'll do it to you. Aaron, the uh, other some of these other Republican psychopaths that you're up against in this race have been advocating something that was new to me. I mean, I don't pay I don't pay close attention to what politicians talk about, but it happened to come across my radar in this case. And this is the idea, probably the most insane idea in the history of the war on drugs uh, to actually go with the U.S. military into Mexico and use things like drone bombings and other military uh, violence against the cartels down there. And there's all this tough talk about, oh, we got to stop the cartels and fentanyl this, and they're dangerous and kill- killers. And so they're gonna, they're actually, and it's not just the presidential candidates now. This Dan Crenshaw character, who's like the the young John McCain with an eye patch, uh, and apparently now this Marjorie Taylor Greene is backing him up on this. So there's a bunch of these people that are already elected. That that Grandma Swamsey, well, he's on. A- Elected, well, yeah. he's one of the presidential candidates. Oh. That's the person we heard about it first from. And they're, 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 so like it seems like they're trying to out Trump Trump. Of course, Trump has uh, advocated a death penalty for drug dealers. And so these guys are like, well, how can we take it further? And then they want to start an actual war uh, with cartels in Mexico. I, I wanted to get your opinion on uh, this this situation, this madness. Well, I mean, it seems like this issue and 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 and. And others are all related to the idea of we're doing everything that we can to deflect from the fact that we need to improve ourselves and improve our own country. So everything is about scapegoating a different country. So with respect to the fentanyl crisis, well, you know, nobody's looking at why people want to use fentanyl, why people might be in an emotional you know, situation where. Maybe they feel like their their freedom is taken away. Maybe they have PTSD from lockdowns, from being from business shutdowns, from being, you know, in some cases forced to take untested medication. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why fentanyl went from 25,000 deaths a year before Trump got into office to 65,000 deaths a year at the end of his four years. And now it's over 100,000. And the source of that spike has nothing to do with Mexican cartels. That's not what's driving this. There's obviously something else driving it or otherwise Trump building the wall and all of the stuff that Trump claimed that he was going to do didn't work, which you never hear anybody talking about. We've got actually a sheriff uh, in Arizona. He is David Hathaway. And uh, for those of you that may not recall, he actually did call in a little while back. I think it was sometime last year. David is uh, a Democrat elected sheriff in the uh, Santa Cruz County. Now, this happens to be Nogales, Arizona. It is a border county. And uh, David, welcome back to Free Talk Live. Yeah, uh, thank you, Ian, and also hi to Mark, Bonnie, and Aaron. Good, to, I've been enjoying the discussion. David, I know you were calling specifically to respond to something Mark said last night on the show, and I want to make sure you have a chance to do that. But uh, since we're talking about the Republicans proposing to escalate the war on drugs into an actual hot war uh, right across the border there in Mexico, what are your thoughts as an actual elected sheriff of a border county what is that going to potentially do to the life of the people that you're serving there? Yeah, you know, well, 
there's there's two things that don't mix, and that's drug prohibition and gun prohibition. If they had if guns were legal in Mexico, um, you wouldn't have nearly the problem that you have right now. And just while we're talking about the drug war, uh, you may remember Ian in a former life. I was a DEA agent, and I actually just successfully dismantled a HIDA-funded task force that my predecessor had in place for many years. It took me a while to do it because there was vehicles and evidence and personnel and whatnot involved, but I just just succeeded in doing that. But yeah, you know, the uh, it, you'd think that we would have learned our lesson in alcohol prohibition from 1920 to 1933. You know, like that resulted in the first drive-by shootings, the first gun violence, and then that resulted in the first federal firearms law, the Na National Firearms Act of 1934, was drafted in 1933, the last year of of alcohol prohibition, and then went into effect 1934. That was a direct result of the violence of prohibiting a substance, and then you drive the market underground, and you have clashes between the uh, the drug dealers and the cops. But yeah, it's just uh, it's it's ridiculous, um, and the. And, and I don't know who it was pointed out. One of you guys was just mentioning the, I think it was Mark, the opioid. No, no, it was Aaron. The, the opioid, the legal opioids, and 60% of overdose deaths uh, for the last five years have been legal opioids like mm. Oxycontin, Oxycodone that are prescribed by doctors. But as Aaron pointed out, that's just ignored by the media, um, you know, because the pharmaceutical companies are making money on that. Well, they're probably not going to send a drone bomber in against Pfizer anytime soon. But, I mean, what do you think uh, – I mean, I, as I understand it, when it comes to the cartels, I mean, we just saw last night the story about the cartel actually apologizing for abducting some people down there, uh, some innocent people down there in Mexico. And it was like the police almost never apologize for, uh, for killing, killing, for killing somebody. Yeah. And yet here's the cartel saying, hey, our guys messed up. We're going to turn over the alleged guys that, that did this, and we're – issuing a written apology to these people who, who have lost their lives. You almost never see that from the uh, the U.S. military or the U.S. police. But uh, now they're well, talking... And also, Go ahead. <laughs> the story behind that is, if you dig further, three out of the four people were documented drug dealers that were documented to be drug traffickers uh, really? in the U.S. Uh, that were down there in Mexico. So three of the four involved that were kidnapped were oh, actually... Wow. Uh, actually in, involved in drug trafficking. And, you know, just to describe again my, my geographic position here, uh, my county has the largest ports of entry with Mexico of all the border counties in Arizona. There's four border counties in Arizona, and this one has the largest ports of entry. And, you know, when I, when I campaigned, I campaigned on positive relationships with Mexico, on free trade. It was right in the middle of the COVID era. I campaigned against all the the vaccine mandates and social distancing laws and and mask mm -hmm. mandates and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't want to segue into that yet of, of talking about Mark's issue from last night about, you know, Democrats not or, or libertarians not being able to run a, as a Democrat. But, you know, the the lessons of prohibition were learned a long time ago. Another lesson is this. Whenever you make something illegal, they start to import more concentrated versions of that substance. Yeah. Like in alcohol prohibition, the drink of choice before that was uh, beer and wine for Americans, like low alcohol content. But the smugglers are smart. Once you make it illegal, they start bringing in from Mexico and Canada much more potent uh, alcoholic drinks like, you know, vodka and right. whiskey. 
So I'm getting emails from uh, people who want to do interviews. I'm the one who gets all those on Free Talk Live. Uh, Ian has adroitly managed to dodge those throughout the decades. Um, And there's this cacophony of voices that are saying Mexico's more dangerous than ever for Americans, you know, and of course they're taking this most recent, uh, you know, situation with some Americans and it's rare for Americans to get involved in anything bad in in Mexico. The cartels, if they know one thing, they know not to mess with the tourist dollars and um you know they but they're you know the united states for whatever reason and i'm not saying any individual i don't know but there's this this uh motive to make mexico seem dangerous and certainly there are places in mexico that i do not recommend going but there are places in the united states i don't recommend going either chicago Uh, I haven't heard these Republicans call for sort of I have heard for the military going after I've heard them call for the military going after drug cartels, but I I really hadn't considered it as an all out war. But, you know, if you can think about right now for it and if you yeah, go ahead. If if a drone drops a hellfire missile on a drug dealer's compound, what do you think they're going to do? Do you think they're just going to sit back and say, oh, this is fine? Mm-hmm. Or do you think they're going to strike back? What's that strike back yeah. going to look like? And where is it going to happen? I don't know, but they're probably not going to strike back in Mexico. They're probably going to strike back against the Americans who did it in America. Will there be civilian casualties as a result of this? They'll probably try not to. But as this ramps up and and the tit goes for tat and the bombs drop and the bad things happen, I suspect American civilians will be caught up in this, that this will turn into fundamentally a war on American soil. And who wants that? Yeah, we're already fighting wars on however many fronts trying to ratchet up wars with North Korea and, you know, going on behalf of Taiwan against China, Ukraine and Russia. Can we get a war going with Iran? You know, it's just uh, like how many fronts do we want to have wars on? And it's just going to, you know, escalate the uh, the collapse of the dollar, you know, just trying to blow money on all this destruction all over the world. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, it's inevitable that foreign countries are going to try to freeze the U.S. government and Americans, unfortunately, out of doing anything in their country because they'll just see us as as a problem. But, you know, uh, it's yeah, it's very safe in Mexico, Mark. Like you were saying, people falsely want to portray this, the hysterical national media as like a war zone and everything's out of control. I live right next to the border. Me and my wife walk along the border every night. It's just safe. It's peaceful. Um, you know, the, the bigger cities in Arizona, I'm more worried of walking around Tucson or Phoenix. Hmm. I have yeah. nine children, you know, and I, you know, I'm more comfortable with our, my daughters and sons walking at night right here along the border, both sides of the border. It's just the hype is all undeserved. Mm-hmm. What does it take to run as a presidential candidate in New Hampshire? I know that if you want to run as like a, a gubernatorial candidate, it's a hundred dollars to file here is is presidential candidate similarly affordable is it like a thousand or something like that or what are the requirements here yeah it's it's a thousand dollars for the state of new hampshire of course you have to file with all of the states so the states have their own various reporting requirements and then you have to file paperwork with the uh, fec federally which is something that i did on uh, early in february so i so i am officially in the race okay all right how many are in the race do you have any idea what kind of competition like 
they're only uh, I think Market Watch did a uh, an article on this. I think there are only like a handful of us that are officially okay. in the race. There are there's a long list of people that are thinking about it, talking about it. I don't know if Ron DeSantis is officially in yet or not, but there it, it's going to be a very wide race, I suspect. Well, it will certainly own. be a hive of scum and villainy. There's no doubt about it. Uh, your campaign website is day2024.com. You're at Aaron R. Day on Twitter. Mark, you were beginning to ask some sort of question. I don't know if you can reformulate <laughs> that for Aaron. Please do. Yeah, um, you know, having lived in New Hampshire for 20 years, um, the flavors of presidential candidates have been basically, uh, you know, two types. One, your standard issue evil politician. You know who they are. They're the only choices to vote for. And then these people, these upstarts, these kooks that had an idea, a single issue uh, on which they were running. I know you personally, and I know that you're not a kook. And I know you're not evil. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on with your campaign. What is, uh, I mean, I, you're running for a regular uh, office. You're not running some third party or anything like that. What, uh, what's happening with this campaign? What can we expect? Well, it's going to be a different campaign, which I guess you probably would expect from, from me. I, again, the, what motivated me to do this was first COVID tyranny. So I have kids. I have twins. They're 12. So watching my kids go through this situation with, you know, going to my daughter's uh, dance recital in the middle of winter outdoors where people where where the kids are wearing masks um, and then having to fight. I mean, and they go to they go to a Montessori school. So and so I'm having to, like, fight to make sure that they don't have to get vaccinated. You know, that that whole situation became an internal drama. And fortunately, you know, we came out the right side of it. But then going through the lockdowns, having to going to the gym and having to wear a mask like I, you know, this, this was a, a level of tyranny that I've never experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. In fact, without a doubt, the least amount of freedom I have ever had in my entire life was actually here. In, I mean, in New Hampshire, under Trump, a Republican president, and and Governor Chris Sununu, a Republican. So I'm sitting here saying, well, if 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 Republicans won, and and I'm in New Hampshire, and yet at the same time I have the least amount of freedom I've ever had in my entire life, mm-hmm. that's not acceptable. Because now I'm looking at this with my kids, and I'm, what, what kind of future do they have? They clearly have less freedom than I had at their age. Mm-hmm. You know, part of this was I did a road trip. I went back to Indiana, and I was kind of like going back to where I grew up, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, this was this was a lot different. We we have slipped dramatically. But then the next piece of it was as bad as 2020 was, I think within one to three years, it's going to be much, much worse with this financial collapse. And you mentioned what's going on in China with the social credit scores. There are already 23 million people in China that are blacklisted for whatever violations they had against the social credit scores. So it would be the equivalent of if you didn't report your $700 Venmo transaction in the United States, you get knocked 200 points. And then all of a sudden it determines what school your kids can go to, what healthcare options you have, what your transportation options are. This is real. They've implemented this. There are 200 million security cameras in China tracking everybody's every move. And People might say, well, this will never come to America. Well, how do you look at 2020 in America and say it, 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 it's, it's a no-brainer that they'd implement it here? You seem to be, I think, on the right track as far as uh, getting people to prepare on a personal level, not to look to politicians to save them from this crisis that the politicians created, because it's going to be an ugly end. I mean, this system is, uh, is a house of cards, 
and it's not going to stay up forever. It's going to get uh, it's going to get bad. And the question is only how bad and how quick. Ultimately, I think at this point. So I'm going to ask you uh, the tough question here of the night, Aaron. I know, I know that you're running as a presidential candidate, but you are here in New Hampshire, and there is a bit of an independence movement here. Uh, it came out last year pretty heavily, and then I think next year we're going to see some state reps put forward likely another uh, potential run at getting a question on the ballot for New Hampshire to peacefully declare independence. And I'm wondering how you feel on that particular issue. If New Hampshire, the people of New Hampshire decide they want to say goodbye to the federal government, what would President Aaron Day say and or do about that? I mean, I, I certainly don't have an issue with it at all. Um, and so, you know, this clip will this this clip will be great as I, as I get traction. This will be played over and over again. Um <laughs> But 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 certainly uh, certainly I'm I'm for it. But what I will say on the flip side is, having been in New Hampshire for 14 years and involved politically, 31.5 percent of our budget now comes from the federal government, and it's grown dramatically. And in mm-hmm. fact, we're now seeing the Republicans are going to expand Obamacare or extend Obamacare Medicaid expansion permanently, which is multiple billions of dollars to the budget. So we are, we are basically giving up more than 50 percent of the healthcare costs in the state are paid for by the federal government. 31.5% of all of our budget comes from the federal government. Yeah. So that to me is the biggest obstacle that we're going to have, but I, you know, I would support it, but I would also say to people out there, you, you need to move to New Hampshire. Now we need more numbers and we need it more quickly. And again, yeah. my personal belief is we only have one to three years. Like I, I think the time period is compressed. I right. wouldn't even get involved in this if I didn't think it was like an existential threat. And I, and if I didn't think that my kids were going to grow up in absolute tyranny, like yeah. they're not even going to make it through high school without being in a, in a, in an absolute dystopian nightmare situation. Well, that's why I say, you know, you got to get your own self out of the financial, uh, controls right by getting out into perhaps cryptocurrency perhaps gold and silver you mentioned those things earlier tonight you know what ratios you should do how much you should do that's that's up to you but that's what i would do uh if i were in this this situation protect yourself protect your family that those are actions you can take right now and then get your state out of the union i mean any state whether it's texas or or california or new hampshire whoever it is that goes first the dominoes are going to start to fall after that other states are going to go once they see that it's it's safe to go and that's the best way you can get out from underneath this because you know then you can get out from the dollar and uh, at least protect yourself from this military industrial insanity uh, that's going on i think that as far as um new hampshire taking a lot of money from the feds like that could be easily fixed if we just stopped paying taxes to them you've been promoting the idea of a run on the banks for a few years now obviously it's more important now than ever we were out yesterday in Keene in the morning and i didn't see anybody uh outside the the td bank or the the M&T Bank here uh, in town. So it doesn't seem like the panic has has quite set in. It may be possible for people to go in and not have to deal with crazy lines quite yet. Um, what do you what are you advocating specifically? Well, here now here's the problem. So there is a bank run of sorts going on. All, all of the information that I'm reading is suggesting that Citibank and J.P. Morgan and Bank of America are having such a massive flood of new customers that they're actually extending mm. their hours. Wow. So what people are doing is they're not necessarily going into the bank and pulling all of the cash out. They're mm-hmm. doing something that's worse. Frankly, they're actually transferring the money from a small bank to a large bank. And that is happening at a large scale. That is not what should be happening. So what they're doing is going to cause CBDC to be able to be implemented much easier because if everything is consolidated, 
with the top six banks, then it's mm-hmm. going to be a lot more mm-hmm. easy logistically to just roll out CBDC. What I'm advocating and what I did four years ago is I, I, I got rid of all my fiat by, by purchasing crypto gold and silver. So I'm not advocating wow. taking the money out of the bank and stuffing it in the mattress either. Mm-hmm. I, I'm actually saying it, to the extent that you can get out of fiat and exchange it for alternative assets, self-custody, crypto, gold, and silver. That That is what I'm suggesting. And that, that's what I said in the press release. That's what you can do to protect yourself. Make sure that you have possession of your own financial resources and that you're not dependent upon fiat or any bank in Re- any way. Related question. I mean, that's a that's a it's a big ask. And we've been saying here on Free Talk Live in the last se- several days, it's like, well, maybe you got to have a bank account to pay some bills or whatever, but try to keep the minimum possible amount in there and then look at other options for, you know, uh, investing and, and like you're saying, gold, silver and that sort of thing. But you're running a presidential campaign. I know that other uh, candidates like our, our uh, former co-host, Daryl W. Perry, he was accepting cryptocurrency when he ran for president a few years ago. How is that going to cripple your campaign? Or are you going to have a campaign bank website, but you're going to like turn it into crypto? Like, how are you planning to handle the, the finances of this, this campaign with, the, with your viewpoint? So I accept crypto and uh, fiat right now, and, and I convert the fiat to crypto. Okay. So, uh, but, but, I, but I do both. And obviously, I'm emphasizing more uh, crypto. Than, than fiat so you do uh, have but a, that's a exactly, bank, i don't want I, you do have a bank account for the campaign but you're only holding I, I it temporarily a, I, I only hold it temporarily it. and 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 i convert to 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 crypto which nice. is in and of itself controversial I, it, I i don't know of any other presidential candidate that's taking crypto now i've been using crypto politically i had a super PAC in 2014 that was taking bitcoin so this is not new for me but right. it is still fairly new for candidates to to be taking crypto and i presume you still have to do all the reporting requirements and that crap for the people that donate with crypto yes mm-hmm. yep yeah and th- and that's part of the issue i mean obviously somebody coming and using monero and then having to you know kyc themselves is not necessarily a, an exciting proposition so it is what it is. And they're going to be very critical of my campaign finance report. So I have to make sure I have to be completely on the up and up and, right. and can only U.S. donations and all that kind of thing. Got it. All right. Those are all the questions I have. Mark, anything else uh, real quick here for Aaron? Uh, just point out that it's U.S. citizens that can donate, not uh, U.S. residents. So if you live outside mm-hmm. of the United States and you want to support Aaron's uh, campaign, you can do that. It's, it's one of the it's one of the rights as a citizen of the United States. Hmm. And I'd point this out also is if you're outside the United States and you don't really get to vote or you feel like your vote doesn't matter or anything like that. Uh, I feel the same way. I didn't um, as a resident of Saipan, I couldn't vote for president. But what I knew I could do was I could donate to a campaign. And if you donated $25 or $100 or whatever it is that you feel is the right number to donate to a campaign, you've done far more than the vote vote will ever do. Especially for president. Yeah. Yeah. Your vote will buy more votes. We got Dodger on the line in Michigan. Dodger, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian Bonnie and Mark. Uh, hello. I don't always listen live, but when I do, I usually call in. Well, you probably so. can't listen when you're dead, so we're glad to have you. Go ahead, Dodger. All righty. Uh, at either rate, um, uh, I usually listen on delayed, but uh, I had to call because Mark was in, and I kind of wanted um, uh, seeing Mark as kind of the one person uh, whose logic uh, from listening to Free Talk Live kind of 
uh, made me realize I was a libertarian. I kind of wanted to pick your brain, Mark, and uh, feel free, uh, Ian and Bonnie, to kind of put in, but uh, do, you, do you know who Mike Rowe is? Yeah, he's the um, he's I don't know what to describe him as. He's an actor. Um, he did the Dirty Jobs uh, show. Well, he... Oh, that guy. Yeah. Um, well, he's also big. Uh, he does scholarships for uh, tradespeople. Yeah. Um, and uh, he does. I mean, he's big into trades like everybody wants to go to college and work in the corner office. But who's going to build that corner office? I just kind of want to know what you guys uh, think uh, is causing kind of the wussification of the, I guess, working people. I'm a tradesperson myself, Mm. and it is so hard to get help. Video games. Well, I mean, it's been a long. I, I Mark, the question was for you, but it's something oh, we've sorry. been covering yeah. here on uh, Free Talk Live for a while. The, the newest term I've heard is safetyism, and that one came from the Free Range Kids blog. But go ahead, Mark. Um, I think it just fundamentally comes down to people are taught that they're better than that. Um, you know, I mean, Americans are teaching their kids, and I'm talking about at all levels. Uh oh. Well, and that one wasn't. Uh, Mark's fault. Mark's fault. That is uh, what they call the blue screen of death in this case. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll have to pick up the answer there uh, on this one, and I'm make, trying to make a note here. Are on we what still the in the air was. then? Yeah, yeah, no, oh, we're yeah, still. We're yeah, still in the air. I mean, I, I, I'd like to to hear everybody's opinion. Yeah, on this. I, I think that uh, the, basically this comes down to a multi generational approach on uh, the part of these people who want to have a wussified group of people uh, in the United States to essentially rule over. It came down to, over the years, you had the, what was it in school? They uh, Everybody gets a ribbon, right? Like everybody wins the uh, the award. They don't have winners anymore. They, for many years, they've been trying to uh, make everything super safe, right? So you can't have lawn darts. Uh, you can't have anything that might p- p- pose uh, any kind of danger. You, you can't let your kids play on the playground. They might hurt themselves. Uh, lawn darts is, is a terrible idea. It, well, maybe, but people should be free to have them. They shouldn't right. be a prohibited uh, item. And and so, you know, we've seen the sort of the rounding off of the corners of everything over time and this safety obsession, uh, safetyism, as the lady behind the Free Range Kids blog puts it these days, which I think is an interesting term. We saw that rise up even worse with uh, the rise of COVID, where truly everyone, you know, most people became obsessed with the idea of safety and like, oh, well, God, I, be safe, you know. I'm wondering if if the the whole thing didn't uh, start a lot sooner because uh, I, I I think I've called and talked to the captain and Aria about this uh, one night on the air, but I I talked about uh, how uh, I actually in high school went to. Uh, what is it career day where and then uh, as part of that day you take a test and then uh, as part of uh, part of this like questionnaire they ask you what you're interested in and i always said i wanted to be a carpenter i mean i knew that that's what i wanted to do but then they tried steering me oh no you're really good at math you should be an accountant 
David is in New Mexico. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, David. Yes, in New Mexico, where the men are manly and the sheep are nervous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's on your mind? Um, what Mark said. To Mark's point, it's been my position for years now that, um, uh, and you can give Mark credit for saying it in so many words, what we have to do is what he said, and that is um, directly interpret to the people calling themselves the government, directly interpret the founding documents ourselves, tell them what it means, and then tell them that's what we're doing, and then do it um, in enough numbers, which is not that many, because uh, you know, however many people that are going to come to enforce something, all you need to do is outnumber them, you know, two to one, which ain't much because there ain't many of them. And then you just do what the founding documents say and uh, take no lip. What does that even mean? I mean, that, uh, what are you trying to say? It, it means exactly what I said. Mark, why don't, why don't you – Mark, can, can you tell me back to me what I just said? It sounded to me like what you said was is that if you have enough people in a given geographic area that will support you, um, that uh, the government agents won't come around. And we saw something similar to that in here in Keene, New Hampshire. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not a big fan of outside the system activism, but I will say that when but that is, uh, that's the people in the system, let me let me just interject and I'll shut up. That is within the system because the system is the founding documents. The system has been bastardized by the people calling themselves the government, and they are unlawful, illegitimate fraud. I wouldn't disagree with that. So the uh, what happened in this circumstance was uh, some police arrested somebody for smoking pot in Central Square while a whole bunch of people were smoking. The people who uh, then went, walked from the Central Square to the police station, smoked in the lobby until they released those people. I don't know what happened to them as far as uh, uh, lawsuits or anything, but... People going to the police station smoking in the lobby is pretty epic. Yeah, yes, there, there's absolutely nothing that the people calling themselves the authorities can do about it if you just slightly outnumber them and just refuse to do anything other than what is uh, allowed by the Constitution, not what they're telling you, because that's not allowed by the Constitution. Yeah, it's crazy how judges... They just believe that they can do whatever they want, even though it's not the way that it's supposed to work. Like today, I went to my arraignment for my traffic ticket, and I pretty much failed a Mark Stevens script because the guy really threw me off. I asked him, am I supposed to get a fair fair trial? He said yes. And I said, can I get a fair trial if there are any conflicts of interest? And he said, I'd have to know what the conflict of interest was. And I said, well, just answer the question. I mean, I'm not making an argument <laughs> that there is a is one i'm just asking if there was would you would you would i be getting a fair trial and he just repeated himself so i was like uh okay and i just said who do you represent and he said i i don't represent the state or myself or anyone i, I don't represent anyone so it just really threw me off and mm-hmm. uh he also never told me that he entered a not guilty plea for me so i didn't get to ask on whose behalf anyways all i'm trying to say is you're supposed to get a free a fair trial but it's a big sham. Like, he represents the state. The state's the one prosecuting me. That's a conflict of interest. Well, he says he didn't represent the state, but who, who pays signs his, his paychecks? Paycheck? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I pointed this out in a trial that I had um, some years ago, is that 
the police officer was there on the stand representing the state and the police officer got to bring his gun in. I had my pocket <laughs> knife taken at the door. So tell me there's not a collusion between the judicial and the executive branch here. Um, and, you know, like the things that the cops said, it was obvious that he didn't remember the stop. He didn't know what color my car was, for instance. He didn't know how many doors it had. I mean, these are pretty basic things. If he had, if he really remembered the stop, which was months before, how could he remember? Then, um, you know, th- then he would have uh, rattled those things off. But the judge is like, eh, I'm here for public safety and whatever the uh, police officer says just goes so he lets him keep his gun and he believes him when he's pretty clear he doesn't remember anything you just heard highlights from the latest episode of free talk live you can download full episodes subscribe to our podcast listen live and more all for free at freetalklive.com